I'm excited today. Week two of diving into this series, Heaven on Earth. Heaven on Earth. And we said this, our premise is that, that our world is broken. We know this. And, and we have, without a doubt, the absolute best answer to this world's dilemma. And, and, and it's not a three-step three strategy or any plan. His name is Jesus. And he's the hope of the world. And what would it look like if we brought hope and we brought Jesus to our community and to our family. And we let Jesus not only experience eternity of heaven, but heaven on earth. That's what this whole series is about. We kicked it off last week with the idea that Christ is in us. What brings value and purpose to our life is not how good we are, but how good God is. And when I understand that Christ lives in me, it brings all new strength and faith and determination into my spirit to live my life with purpose. And I want to continue this series because I believe without a doubt that God has an amazing plan for our church, plan for our families. I'm excited about the season that we're stepping into, Easter season. And I want to take this just one step further. And I want to kick it off this morning with it with a story. Just a couple months ago, my birthday falls right at the beginning of the year. And let me just go ahead and throw out some compassion for, for those of you like me, that your birthday is around the holidays. You know the people in the room that, that you get one sock for Christmas and they bring the second one to you on your birthday, right? Because it's like a week later. That's, that's me. I haven't really had that happen, but that's how it feels. I feel like us folk that have our birthdays at the beginning of the year, we need to celebrate a half birthday, shouldn't we? I mean, mid-June, July, just go and have a celebration because it all just kind of gets glossed over and that's what it feels like. My in-laws were celebrating with me. It was a a few days after my birthday, and they'd brought a gift over this big box. I was like, what in the world? And we're not a huge gift family. And I was kind of thinking, what, what is this gift that they brought me? And so I unwrapped this gift. And sure enough, my, my parents, my in-laws had bought me a new tea maker. That's right, a tea maker. And I've been teaching my boys, probably like you parents, that when you open a gift, you got to be careful to, to respond in a way that shows your joy and excitement for the gift you're receiving, even if it's not all you expected it to be. And as I open this tea maker, I'll be honest, deep inside, I kind of thought, tea maker? <laughs> this birth, birthday gift? You know, where, where did you get that list from? You know, and, but I knew where it came from. Because about a month before I realized I was opening the gift, it all started to make sense. My mom was sitting at our dining room table and she was watching me make tea in the kitchen. And I was making tea the only way that I had ever been taught or seen how to make tea. I, I took a pot, put water in the pot, put the pot on, on the stove, put the t- couple tea bags in the pot and, and warmed it up and waited for it to get warm. Then I put the pitcher in the sink. And then, you know, once the water was really hot and the tea just right, I would carry that pot of water, make sure I I, I missed the kids' heads and and made my way over and poured it into the tea. But that's that's the only way I knew to to make the tea. And I'll be honest, there's been a few times where I forgot the tea pitcher on the pot only to show up and see the water boiling and the tea way overdone. There have been a couple times where that little paper tag that sticks out the end of that string has made its way just close enough that the gas and the fire from the gas caught that piece of paper on fire. 
but that's the only way I've ever known. And so I've continued in that method. And my mom saw all this happening in our kitchen. And I think that she decided, I don't know if she wanted me to get a tea maker for me or for the other three people living in our house. And something happened, everybody. What felt like just a simple gift. And I thought, man, I I don't know that I really need or want a tea maker. How much was that? Can I return it? You know, let me get the cash for it. Turned into one of the greatest gifts of 2019, everybody. I'm telling you, I, I, I never knew that a simple tea maker could change my life, but it changed my life so much to the point that I was convinced that I had to tell my parents about this tea maker. So I ordered one on Amazon. I ordered it at just the right time that I knew that I was going to be going to their house so that when they got the box, I was there to experience the new tea maker with them. And they opened their tea maker. I said, mom and dad is going to change your life. You're not going to overboil your tea anymore. You're not going to catch the house on fire. You got to check this out. And they loved it. They experienced it just like I did. It was like something so simple, a little $20, $25 tea maker could be such a blessing in my life. And God spoke to me through this tea maker illustration. You're like, Wes, you're such a weird guy, man. And, And here's what I wonder is how many of us have done something the same way for so long and reached a place in our life that we figured be just because this is the way we've learned it or the way we've done it, that it's the best way to do it. What of us, what if we've just settled for a version of Christianity and a version of relationship with God that's so mundane and so through the motions, but that's all we ever saw our parents live. And that's all we've ever seen our friends live. And we've come to the conclusion that that's all there really is. And I'm proposing in this series an idea and a thought that what if there was more? What if there was a better way? What if God didn't want you to live the 60 or 70 years or 80 years that he's promised you on this life, just going through the motions, just getting a form of godliness, but never experiencing the power that he wants from you? And what would happen if you experienced that? I believe this. You would want to tell everybody about it because it's so good and it's so great. My question for you is, have we reached a level of comfort in our spiritual lives that we've become so settled in our relationship with God that we're just fine with us just having a little bit of it. And we're okay if the rest of our community and the rest of our world doesn't get it. Man, you know what I want to happen in our church? I want a fire to be lit, man. I want a fire to be lit because there's a better way. Man, I believe God wants to bring heaven to earth. He he wants it for us. Let me set this message up with a, a thought. Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew 6. And he says this, he says, pray along these lines. Our father in heaven, we honor your holy name. This is how he said he starts how to pray. Hallowed be your name. In other words, let me just teach for a second. He says, when you go to God, don't go to God all the time. Just tell him about all the things you need. Don't go to God just reminding him about your brokenness and your situation. Start your talk with God reminding him and reminding you just how awesome he is. He says, when you pray, start out by honoring and telling God how holy he is. And then he says this, pray this. We ask that your kingdom will come now. 
May your will be done. Where does he say? Here on earth. May your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. This morning, I want to look at a passage of scripture. I think it's so important because it's some of the last words that Jesus gives us before he leaves this earth. The very last chapter of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. Jesus has already risen from the dead. And, and this is a passage you've been coming to church for any amount of time. You've heard this great commission. You've heard it preached, heard it taught. You probably heard the scripture. And I believe there's three truths inside of this three verse, this, this short passage that I believe brings so much power to what it means to live a life of heaven on earth. And I want to dive in this morning, Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, then Jesus came to them and he said this. He said, all, what's that next word? Everybody say that together. Authority, all authority in heaven and and where on earth has been given to me. Jesus said, "I, I have all the authority. And so based on the authority that is found in who I am, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the command built into this this passage. He says, go and make disciples. It's the great commission. But he buffers this great commission with two key thoughts or two promises. The, The first one is this, I've given you all authority because I have all authority. And then he ends the passage and he says, and surely I am with you always. One of the greatest promises of the Bible. I'm with you. I haven't left you. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I want to just spend a few minutes on this idea today, made for more, made for more. And let me just point out, I think probably attention in the room is that for many of us, some of the reason that we haven't experienced the more that God has for us is because maybe we've gone through the steps of wanting to follow God, but maybe not experienced the results that we had hoped for. Have you ever been in that season in your life where discouraged said it? I mean, you know, you said, God, I'm going to start honoring you with my finances. And the next day your car fell apart. You said, yeah, there you go, God. See, I knew you're going to be faithful to me. And now, and now I got something I wasn't anticipating. You, you, you serve, but you know, the excitement of serving, it just kind of died after about three weeks of being in the nursery and those crying babies. You know, it just, it didn't add up. And they probably reach a, a place in our life where I think sometimes we wonder, am I really making a difference? Is, is this really amounting to anything? Have you been there before like me? It's kind of like how I feel right now. We've got this big oak tree at our house, everybody. And I tell you, for the last three weeks, I told Jen, I said, I feel like the oak leaves are mocking me. They're mocking me. I mean, it's literally almost every single day that I come home and I look in the driveway and yesterday was no different. I'm out there in the morning. I've got another huge pile of leaves. I'm raking the leaves. I'm blowing the leaves. I've got pollen everywhere. I'm I'm bagging it all up. And by the time I get it all done and feel like our house is going to be just magnificent on the outside, I look behind me in the driveway And it looks like I haven't done a single thing. Does anybody else in the room understand the pain I'm feeling? The rest of you are like, no, we just got a lawn service and we we just farm that out. (laughs) Wes, you need to like, come on, get with the program. Seriously, man, it is ridiculous right now. And, And I look back and I think that's the way some of us do in our spiritual life. 
We're out there in the front. We feel like, man, I've just busted it for an hour. We look back like, man, what did I do? Have I really made a difference? Is this really amounting to anything? Is this coming to church every week and following God and praying? And, and, and sometimes we just get so complacent because we feel like, man, it's not, it's not making a difference. And, and our fire, it loses its spark. I believe this, God has made us for more. I know this truth. John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the vault. And I'm convinced today that God didn't send his son so that we could receive him and just live a boring, naive, just empty life. God came so that we could have the best life ever. And I want to give us three ways to experience that, to live that out heaven on earth. It starts with this. It's so foundational to our walk with God. It's number one, surrender everything to Jesus. Surrender everything to Jesus. Now surrender some things to Jesus. Surrender everything to Jesus. And I think this is one of the greatest challenges. I, I see this with, with my own children. You know what he says in this passage? He says, I've, given, I've been given all authority under heaven and on earth. He's saying, so the key to your relationship with God is understanding this, that you are not in control. It's foundational to our walk with God. It, it's, it's how I deal with my boys and the struggle I experience with my boys because my, for, for the most part, they're great friends. But they also, they feel like they have the gift of being each other's parent as well. Maybe it's just my kids. But oftentimes I have to have a conversation with them and say, hey, Caden and hey, Ben, you guys are great brothers. This all goes wrong when you start trying to be each other's dad. Listen, God has blessed you with a dad so you don't have to do that. Just be great brothers. Just surrender. And I think for so many of us, we're still trying to hold on to the keys. We've never given God reign of every area of our life. And what would it look like if we just surrendered it all to him? We just gave it all to him. A couple of years ago, we made a decision. There was a home in Largo that we owned. And when we first moved over here to start the church, we, we had a home. We weren't sure what to do with it. So we decided to rent it out. It was Man, it was so special to us because it was a home that we thought we were going to raise our family in and be in for a long time. And we had renovated this house from the ground up. I mean, everything, kitchens, bath, flooring, paint, outside, inside. It was a home built in 1960 and had issues all over the place. And we had made it our own only to find out that God was calling us to New Tampa. So we had a couple of different families that rented it. And you know, you always want to believe well that a renter is going to take care of your house like you do. But that's just a dream in your mind. And we reached a point that we decided, you know what, let's sell this house. It's becoming so much trouble and a hassle. And, and, and so we did. And we, the, the renters left after the lease ended. And we went in the house. And it was just so, so discouraging. It's like, oh, man, this is our home. And before we put the house on the market, we spent a month trying to get it in the same shape that we had it when we started renting out the house. Everything, man, new, we, we put in new carpets and cleaned and it felt like every weekend was just spending countless nights and hours there getting this thing all ready. We found somebody to buy the house. We made it to the closing table and there's such a good feeling like, man, I'm releasing this thing. And we started talking to the guy who was buying the house and tell him, you know, our journey and 
all that we had done and all the upgrades we made. And at one point I, I said, man, you know, but here's the deal. I, I think it's in great shape, but if there's anything you need, if there's anything you need, feel free to give me a call, reach out, let me know. He said, oh no, it's going to be fine. He said, as a matter of fact, I've got a construction crew coming tomorrow. We're going to have a dumpster in the front yard. He said, we're completely renovating the house. We're gutting the kitchen and the bathrooms and everything. He's actually, we're going to put an add on to the house. And I tell you, I felt, I felt this sickness in my stomach. Like why had we just wasted the last month of our life getting this house ready for you only to hand over the keys and you completely change everything. And I think so many of us in our life, we're trying to get our life perfect only to hand over the keys and say, God, now I'm ready for you to come in. And God's saying, if you'll just let me come in, I'm ready to change everything about the inside of your house. Do you hear me this morning? Some of you think you know exactly the way God wants his house to be built. And he's saying, if you'll just let me come occupy some space inside your house, I'll do some renovations that you didn't even know you needed. As a matter of fact, I'm ready to make some improvements that you, you weren't even ready to handle. All I need you to do is let me have the keys. What area of your life are you struggling to surrender control of? What area of your life have you said, you know, God, you can have everything, but this, this is, this is precious to me. And once I get it all right, then God, I'm going to give it to you. Paul says this, man, I, I love this verse, Galatians 2:20. Paul understood this. The foundation of his life was knowing his life was not built in him, but it was built in Christ. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ in me is what we talked about last week in the life I live. Now I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Freedom happens. This is the word that God gave me for our church this year. Man, if you're seeking freedom, let me tell you, freedom is found in surrender. I heard about in ancient times, there was this group called the Knights of Templar. And before the big crusades, oftentimes the knights would have this, this time where they would go and be baptized before they would go into war. And one thing they said about the knights of Templar is that oftentimes when they were baptized, one of the things that was most precious to a knight was his sword. It wasn't just a sword to a knight. It was his, his identity. It was his safety. It was his protection. It, it, it stood for everything he was. It re- represented power and strength. And oftentimes they said this, that a knight of Templar, when he was baptized, he would hold his sword in his hand and they would allow him to be baptized, but he would hold his sword out of the water as if to say, God, you have all of me, but you don't have my sword. And, and I know this, we're not holding swords this morning. Actually, I was going to bring a sword, but the only one I could find was this little plastic one that my boy had. And it's just... It wasn't going to do this illustration justice. It really wasn't. But I wonder how many of us are saying, God, you have all of me. Except my cell phone. And there's things like pornography that are are eating at your life. 
There are things like approval, addiction that are eating at your life and all you long for is somebody to tell you how loved and how special you are and how beautiful you are. And some of us, our work is, is all that keeps us going. And so we work long hours because we find our identity in it. And God, you have all of me, but I can't give this one thing. What is it for you today? For some of us, it's our finances, it's our wealth. Because it's our security and it's our safety. And you're saying, God, I'll serve. I'll do whatever you need me to do. But God, this is an area that's so close to my heart. Man, I know that's a heavy thing this morning. But I'm telling you, if we want to experience heaven on earth, God doesn't want a little bit. He doesn't want some. He wants all of us. He wants everything this morning. Let me ask you today, what what are we watching? What are we listening to? Who are we speaking into our life? Am I surrendering everything to Jesus? Number two is this. Am I living out the mission of Jesus? Am I living out the mission of Jesus? I I just want to encourage us this morning. Time is short. Time is short. What if we live life knowing that, man, we just had a short window of time to tell people about Jesus and love people the way he loves them and be a church that shows compassion and does everything we can to reach people. Man, I just want to challenge us. The, the, Matthew 20 and 19, what does it say? Go and make disciples. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing how when time is short, the things that we can get done? You know, when you've got vacation coming up, starting in a week or starting in four days, isn't it amazing you can turn five days of work into three? Because you know time is short. You know, one of the things that frustrates me as a sports fan, I'll watch a football game. And that game can be as boring as all get out for three and a half quarters. And that team drive down the field and there'll be punt after punt after punt. And they score three points for three and a half quarters. And amazingly, miraculously, when there's only seven minutes left in the game, they manage to score three touchdowns. And I feel like, why waste the time? Just let me turn the game on when there's about six minutes left and I'll see everything there is to know. It's where all the action is because it's amazing when there's urgency and time is short. Man, we respond in a different way. I just want to challenge this. I know it's spring break week, but let me tell you this. We have five weeks from today until the Super Bowl of Christianity. All right? Listen, it's the biggest, it's the biggest game day we've got. It's the biggest game day we've got. And we're going to be extremely strategic about Easter this year. As a matter of fact, we're going to do everything we can leading up to Easter to make our experiences uh, family-friendly and fun. We're doing all kinds of good stuff. April 7th, spring celebration. Spring celebration, all that means is there's going to be like a lot of sweets and a lot of stuff for kids, all right? I mean, kids are going to have fun. It's one of those weekends that, you know, your neighbors who don't go to church but whose kids would love it, it's one of those weekends that, that you can invite them to. And then the next weekend... We're going to throw eggs out in the field and tell the kids to run around. It's only going to take two minutes long. But parents love looking for stuff like this for their kids. Let me just encourage you. We're, we're creating opportunities for you to invite your friends to hear the greatest message that could change their life. And then Easter Sunday. Do we need to make Easter any bigger than it already is? A, a man who is dead is now alive and he's in heaven forevermore. All right. But we are, we're going to have fun stuff. There's going to be family pictures outside and we're going to make that day so special and so meaningful. 
And I can't wait because I'm already praying about people who I believe that I'm going to invite and see their lives change on that day. What would it look like if over the next five weeks we, we developed a, a, a sense of urgency? One of the other things I want to encourage you with is Serve Day on March 30th. And man, whether you can be at Serve Day or not, I'm going to challenge everybody in our church over the next two weeks. I just felt like God put this challenge in my heart. And for some of us, this would be super easy. What if everybody made a decision over the next two weeks, we're going to find a way to serve three hours. Serve three hours. And if you can't be at Serve Day, that would be a great opportunity. But find a way to get your kids and your family and do something good for somebody else. Man, find a team to be on. Go to the pantry and serve with them and watch what God does there as we change lives. I believe this. We never look more like Jesus than when we're serving. It's the best way to love people. And I'll tell you this. There's a passage of scripture that every time I read it, man, it's just a sobering thought. And maybe you've heard, read this scripture before, but man, it convicts me about the way I live my life and the way I serve people. Jesus in Matthew 25, he says, he's talking about the end of the world. And he says, at the end of the world, I'm going to divide people into two groups. He said, the people on my right, the sheep and the people on the left, the goats. And he's going to turn to the sheep on the right. He's going to say, come into my kingdom that I prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He said, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was sick, you cared for me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. Matthew 25, you see it on the screen. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. But the Bible says he's also going to turn to the the ones on his left, the goats. And he said, "When, when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. And when I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was naked, when I was sick, when I was in prison, you didn't come to me. And they're going to respond, Jesus, when were you sick? When were you naked? When, when were you hungry? And his response will be, when you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. Depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know about you, that's one of the most sobering thoughts. Let's be a church that loves and serves people. I'm gonna challenge you, church. We'll never look more like Jesus than when we're loving. And whether they deserve it or not, whether they drive up to that food pantry in a nice car or not. You know, I had one person that kind of gave me a hard time this week. I was talking about the food pantry. They said, well, you know, I've stopped by and you know, some of those people, they drive cars nicer than the ones that I drive. I say, you know what? We've just made a decision that we're going to love people regardless of what the outside looks at. We're going to love them because Jesus has loved us. You know what? We don't get to decide who needs the love of Jesus. All right. Listen, if you're, if you figure that out, thank you, Jesus, for joining us this morning. I'd love to meet you after service. We're just going to love everybody. Let's be a church that loves everybody. Amen. Number three, we're going to stand on the promises of Jesus. Surrender everything to Jesus. Live out the mission of Jesus and stand on the promises of Jesus. I love that that in the middle of this command, 
Jesus bookends this key thought with two promises. Number one, I've, get, I've been given all authority. All you got to do is surrender everything to me. I have all the power you need. And on the backside, he says this. And when you go, know this, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. Some of you walked in this morning, you're walking through a season where you know you love God. You know God is real, but you've been going through a situation or circumstance where you wonder, is God with me? Because maybe it's been hard to hear his voice. Maybe it's been hard to to know, God, what is your will in this situation? Should I take that job? Should I do this? Should we go there? Should we buy this? What, What is the right thing? What is your plan? And I believe God would say to us that sometimes even when we can't hear his voice, we can trust that his presence is with us. As I was thinking about this thought this week, there was a, a story that came to mind that I'll close with this morning. Well, and then we'll go. I remember my freshman year of high school, I was playing on the golf team, Indian Rocks Christian. It was our district tournament, the final tournament of the year. And it was one of the tournaments that my dad was able to make it out to. And at the district tournament, it was different because typically at a golf tournament, you only played nine holes in high school. But in this one, you played 18 and you walked the course. I'll never forget my dad being there that day. You know, you have memories when you look back and you think, man, it was just, it didn't mean a ton in that moment. But as I look back on it, I think, man, it was just, it was so cool to have my dad walk around that course and just be with me. But it was so amazing and it was so difficult all at the same time because I don't know how it is now, but there was this rule in high school golf that you could have your parent come and they could follow you at the district tournament, but they weren't allowed to talk to you. And my dad is like this, he's a fanatic. He's, he's a coach at heart and he, I mean, he's always been that way. And as hard as it was for me, I think it was more difficult for my dad There were so many times in that round of golf where I know I wanted to just turn to him and go, Dad, which club? Driver or three wood? I'm on the fringe. Should I chip it? Should I putt it? And I know this without a doubt. There were so many times that he wanted to tell me what he thought would be best. And I think for some of us today, you're, you're, you're walking through life and you're struggling with the answers of life and you're looking to hear God's voice, but what you need more than anything is just to know that God is with you. That God is with you. That his presence makes the difference because there was something on that day that just knowing that my dad was there, it made me want to give my best. It, it made me want to be better than I could ever be on my own just because of his presence. I just want to encourage you today as you walk out of this room, whether you have the answer to your struggle or your situation, whether you know exactly where to go or where to turn, let me tell you this, God is with you. He's leading you. He's directing. He's going to help you through that financial difficulty. He's going to help you through that big decision at your work. He's going to help with you through the relationship challenge. Whatever you do, stay with him. Trust him and know that he is faithful.
I just want to ask you to bow your heads as we close this morning.